Hey guys, I hate to break up your uh, fun, and I love hearing the fellowship and uh, you guys enjoying each other's company. Uh, it's time to get rolling here. We got a speaker that's all excited and getting ready to come up here and share his story. Uh, just a couple announcements. Uh, first one and foremost is one of the reasons that you're here, hopefully not the most important, is uh, the food being served. So thank you to our uh, ladies. And Also, uh, I love Mr. Anonymous, whoever you are. You're taking care of us, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And then uh, anybody that has their cell phone on and it goes off during the speaker, you're on the speaker's list. So you might want to I don't think mine's turned off, so better do that before I get back to my seat. Um, Sean Odom, come on up here. Sean's going to be sharing today, but before or on his way up here, I'm going to remind everybody that Ramon Oglesby, everybody know Ramon? Yeah. Or you've heard of him? He's going to be speaking for the next three weeks, so bring your seatbelts and uh, be ready to buckle up. So today, a uh, good buddy of mine, come on up here, Sean. This is a very good friend of mine, a brother in Christ, and um, He's got an incredible story, so I hope that you'll give him your full attention today and pray for him while you're listening and just ask God to uh, speak to you, your spirit. And uh, I hope that, like, uh, I know his story and I've heard him share it, and he is an inspiration, he's an encourager, and I pray that you all will be encouraged and inspired today as you leave this place after he uh, shared his story. So without further ado, I'd like to pray for you, man, and uh, get this party started. God, again, I just uh, praise you and thank you. Uh, uh, we're here to glorify you, Lord, and thank you for the story and the testimony that you've given to Sean and what you've allowed in his life. Uh, most of all, what you've done in his life through that, Lord, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. I pray that our spiritual hearts and minds are, are changed and you make yourself real to us today as Sean shares his story. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. How's everybody doing today? <clears throat> you know, I saw Justin walk in back there, and I thought to myself, this is, uh, this is the most law enforcement I've had look at me in a long time. <laughs> um, I appreciate everybody showing up, listening to me talk about humility. That's a recovery joke. Um, so, a little bit about me, I was uh, born in Muncie, Indiana, the teeth of the town. Uh, back in the 80s, my dad worked for Marsh Warehouse, making 24 bucks an hour, which was big money back then. Uh, little did I know that my dad had a huge drug and alcohol problem. And uh, when my mom left him, with one plate, one fork, one spoon, can of beans. She rented this rider truck and it was a stick shift and she hadn't driven one since she was 14. And here she was, I'm, she'll tell you she was in her 20s, I'm pretty sure she was older than that. Um, we took off, never see him again. And uh, when I was 13 years old I, I decided that uh, for my birthday, because we were tight on funds back then, that I want to call dad. She was like, why? I was like, I don't know. I just want to call him. And um, look him up in the phone book, back when they had those. 
and uh, called him, and he says, who's this? And I said, well, it's your son, because I said, hey, Dad, right? And he said, stop playing on my phone, and hung up on me. And uh, I resented my dad so much, I turned into him. You know, and, and I could go through the whole backlog and the whole story, but the bottom line is I spent 17 years in active addiction. Um, eight years ago, I was sleeping behind a gas station on 79th Michigan Road in Indianapolis. Eight years ago. Uh, this is my third year as a real estate agent, so <laughs> there's the proof that you know, God can take the broken, right? And I like to think of, of the word broken as, as BR, right? The, the BR stands for brother. It's going to be okay because I can make you entirely new. How many people in here have ever been to a spot in their life where they've been broken? Man. <laughs> A whole room full of brokenness. <clears throat> so, in my 17 years of, of active addiction and sleep behind this gas station, um, I remember making, so I, I would make these like funny signs, right? Like, need gas for my spaceship, uh, need help paying my debt to society. Um, and the, the third time when, when I made that debt, paying my debt to society, I uh, was standing out there holding a sign on 79th Michigan Road, and a cop pulls up to me, and he says, what's your sign say? And I read it to him, and he goes, that's great. Put your left hand behind your back. You've got a warrant. And I said, you, you don't even know my name. He was like, okay, what's your name? I said, Sean. And he goes, yep, you got a warrant. And it didn't, it, it didn't dawn on me until I got released from jail that I was also wearing a Lamar Odom Clippers jersey. So that's probably where he got the last name from. Uh, but it turns out that my family that I had stolen from and taken from and robbed from drove past. And they were the ones who put the warrant on me and they had me arrested. Uh, you don't call anything in because I don't have any warrants now. I'm, I'm good. Um, but I remember sleeping behind that gas station. I remember, I remember this group of people coming around to help, and they were they were a group of people from the Horizon House, which is a day, day shelter down in Indy. And uh, those same people got to watch me go into the Salvation Army ARC. And come out, it, it, and it didn't happen overnight. It took a series. Anybody know Lemony Snicket's books? Like a series of unfortunate events. That's what my life was like for 17 years. <coughs> and I remember staying on the gas station, questioning. I wonder if God forgot about me. And after my third incarceration. I was in there and I was saying these foxhole prayers. God, like, never let, let me out. I'll never do it again. And he'd let me out. And I'd go right back to it because that was that insanity. 
A lot of people say insanity is doing the same thing over expecting different results. <laughs> My life as a criminal was doing the same thing over and over to see if I could get away with it. And I failed on three occasions. And I remember the last time, so when I was in the ARC, we would go up the street. Um, on Friday nights, they would have this bonfire meeting at the Sober Living House. And I thought, well, this is great. Like, um, I'm in a place where I have to work to pay for my stay. I have no job, I have no house, I have no car. Let's go to this sober living uh, meeting and see if we can pick up women. Because apparently women love guys who have nothing. And uh, it didn't work, but the seed was planted. And, and when I say the seed was planted, like that was the start of, of my recovery. And I didn't know it, but I would eventually get out of the ARC after nine months and I got these things called back problems. I got my family back, I got my residents back, uh, I was able to move back in with them. I was like, this is fantastic, I can quit doing the things that got me here. And they call that resting on your laurels. And um, with, with every great addiction story, um, I met this girl, and uh, that's pretty much the start and the end of that. <laughs> and um, so I stopped doing the things that probation required of me. I stopped going to take my urinalysis test. And uh, I had nine months clean. I'm not going to say nine months sober because I, I, did, I wasn't working a program then. And uh, we wanted to go to this barbecue place one night, and they were closed. And so we ended up going to BW3. She was like, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to have a beer. And I was like, well, I've amassed nine months without it. I think I deserve one, too. And uh, that was the downfall. Well, I, I found myself incarcerated again. And I don't know how, how many people in this room have ever been locked up. That's what I like. I, I, I tell you what, I love coming to this because people can be volatile in here without having to worry about repercussions. Like the questions that I've asked, how many hands have went up, these are guys that feel comfortable in here. And I, I love that. And I remember asking, just like, just like Jesus did, <laughs> is there another way? God, there's gotta be another way. Well, it, it wasn't until later on that I found out that sometimes Sometimes we need to be drugged through the mud in order to appreciate how cleanliness feels. Amen. And, um, you know, God drove, he drugged me through the mud. I wanted a way out, but my ego and pride wouldn't let me ask for help. You know, the, the, the prayers that I was praying were not the ones that God intended me to pray. My final, uh, when I was finally locked up, I was transferred from Marion County Jail um, in Indianapolis to CCA Community Corrections. And uh, they have this, uh, when you first go into CCA, they have this area called Katrina. 
because it's overflowed with people and there's just boats along the wall and you don't know how many days you're going to stay there four days later they finally send you upstairs and you're in this big huge area it's probably about three times the size and it's filled with bunk beds and then there's rooms on the outside and in between those rooms there's more boats and that should let you know the magnitude of people that go through there on a daily basis and uh, when I was in there I finally built up enough courage to get into a prayer circle and I remember this guy he was just he was praying for others he was praying for the wellness of others because I'll be honest um, I was asking guys that were locked up with me how to get out I don't know if anybody has ever asked somebody in legal trouble how to get out of legal trouble it's just not possible it's like we're in the same boat you're in here I'm in here how do I get out and if this guy is now the chances are slim right so um, there's no good attorneys that are locked up is what I'm trying to say and um, I hop in this prayer circle and this guy said something so profound he goes you know why people always find God in jail I said why is that he said because nobody takes them with them when they leave I finally made a phone call and I got through well I didn't get through to my public defender but I left a message and said Somebody in here was telling me to ask for a controlled release. It doesn't sound fun, but it's what I'm going to ask for. The girl that I forcibly moved myself in with before getting locked up, I, um, they released me over to the CCA building where I would get fitted for my house arrest bracelet that the county bought from Jared, Gallery of Jewelry. And uh, they strapped this Darth Vader thing to my ankle and I and I said you know what I'm gonna go stay with the girl um, that is the reason that I didn't follow through with this so I call her and and I say hey baby what's up <laughs> and she goes I'm moving and I said well here goes it's my plans <laughs> and uh, I said what do I do now the only other person that I had was to call my parents to beg for forgiveness and to, to hope and pray to God that this was the last time and that they would finally let me in. Now, my, my, my father, he's really my stepdad, but he's been in my life more than my father, so I call him my father. He uh, is a Christian man, and he agreed to let me stay one night one night man that's all I need I'll, I'll give you the rest of the money on my pay card and uh, I get over there and so in, in Marion County by the way they release you and you have to walk up this ramp because that's where the the transit buses come down you have to walk up this ramp and then you're on Washington Street which is the main intersection between North and South um, and then from there you're on your own and uh, my parents agreed to let me stay one night. And uh, the next morning they wake me up and they say, hey, we got to go to work. 
um, you're not allowed to stay inside. So I go out on their front doorstep and I'm sitting there with my charger device for my house arrest bracelet in my hand for nine hours with no bathroom, no food, no water. And I just remember this calmness coming over me and something going, you'll be okay. And, and I really felt it. And I, I don't know how many people are familiar with addiction, but it, it doesn't come from a lot of good choices. And so I had this choice that I had already been to this place so a little like map, right? So here's your jails down in, in Marion County, and CCA is right next to it. Of course, they've changed now. They got the new Justice Center. Right over here, you can look out the window and see the place that I tried to gain recovery before that, which was the ARC. Up the street from that was the sober living house. That after I was out, I was deciding that I was going to go to. And after about five days of begging and pleading and being afraid to even go to the bathroom because they knew the stuff that I used to do in the bathroom, I called and I finally got my chance to get in. And when I walk in, I've been living in this triangle like this, right, but the wrong way. When I got into sober living, there were symbols on all the walls of triangles said unity service recovery and it had a circle around it and it was big and alcoholics anonymous which that's a symbol for alcoholics anonymous and i go well i've already been living in this triangle but i've been living it the wrong way now i don't know if if god intended for me to live like that because i'll be honest sometimes we have to suffer a loss to appreciate a win And so I suffered, suffered the losses time after time after time again. And it was all based on my decisions and my choices. And I got tired. And when I got into sober living, I didn't have to do the hokey pokey to turn myself around. See, the guys in there. When I would be focused on something else, it would divert my attention to what I was supposed to be doing. I had this house arrest bracelet on me that stopped me from doing the things that I wanted to do and kept me doing the things that I needed to do, which was God answering my prayers. This was the other way that he was talking about. And here I, you know, here I am today going, my God, look what I've got. Everything that I have in life today is a coupon. Because once I take one hit, one sip, one tote, one smoke, one snort, it goes all out the window, and I have to start over again. And that insanity will still creep up in my mind because I go, hey, if I mess up and lose it all, I can gain it back quicker now. And, uh, but... I was just talking with a guy at our our table that I was sitting at, and and the things that keep me from going back to that lifestyle are the things that God has given me today. I can appreciate the wins today. 
I can appreciate cleanliness today. So 17 years of addiction, three incarcerations, and here I am with over five and a half years of sobriety. Now there's a gift and a curse that comes with being in recovery. The gift is every time I lose somebody, I get the opportunity to speak. This is my 44th speaking engagement in five and a half years of recovery. And I just officially lost the 43rd person closest to me. Every single time it happens and I can't help but feel because I get these goosebumps. I get these goosebumps and I feel like it's something speaking through me. It's just using my story to move people in a different way and it's, it's directing the way that my story comes out and it's, and it's hoping that somebody in this room is going to feel the same feeling that I'm feeling so that when they walk out the door they can do the same type of healing that God is allowing people to do every day, especially in this town. I'm a member of two organizations that are involved in charity. I am on the, uh, I did the most gangster thing in recovery. I uh, got offered a job at Community Howard after being leased out from Turning Point. And I quit Turning Point and then I jumped on to the board of directors at Turning Point. I got married. Uh, we got a new house. Um, I've got identical twin boys. And the irony in that is, is, you know, be careful what you wish for. Because when me and uh, my wife, which some of you may know, when we first got together, we had told each other that we can't have children. And uh, she asked why I thought I couldn't have children. And I said, because... I was living a lifestyle that had me try 500 times and uh, it never happened and God was like jokes on you too <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking of all the times that that I could have lost my life in 2001 when I was still kind of living right I got to go do music down in New Jersey uh, for a publishing label and we walked out with a publishing deal and for the next two days we wandered around Manhattan and uh, they would not let us go up to see the towers and uh, but we got to see a lot of good things in New York we got to go to this cheesecake factory that was under TRL music studios and a can of Shasta Cola is four dollars and fifty cents and the waiter told us how much his tip should be, which is great. You can't find that service anywhere. Um, we flew out of JFK Airport, and three days later, 9-11 happened. And I remember thinking about all those people and wondering what happened to them. Because little did I know that a couple years after that, my world was going to come crumbling. And so I go through this whole 17 year thing, right? 
And uh, God's humor uh, matches me with a female that is now my wife, whose birthday is 9-11. And then we had twin boys. And my first ever CD that I made when I was in high school, it had me standing on top of the Twin Towers. <laughs> and so I don't believe in consequences. Or not consequences, sorry. <laughs> Coincidences. Not consequences, Justin, forget I said that. Um, no, I'm just, I, I still get nervous when I get asked to, to speak. And, um, but man, like, what life kind of brings you through to get to where you're at. The biggest thing that, that I did not do when I was in my addiction is, is one thing that says in recovery, we seek to understand rather than to be understood. I'd spent my whole life trying to prove myself. And when I was standing behind this gas station, I was invisible to every single person that came across my path except for those wearing a badge. And I got tired of doing the same things that I did, and I got tired of trying to see if I could get away with it. And God put me somewhere else. Now I have this amazing story. When I was in sober living, I was uh, my final job in there was working at Buffalo Wild Wings downtown. And every time it came time to pay my rent for sober living, I would have $20 left in my bank account. And my cell phone bill was $66 and it was due the day after. And I remember volunteering up at the front desk of the sober living and stressing about this money and going, how am I gonna get another $46 to be able to pay my cell phone bill? And this guy was like, stop worrying about your own problems. Start focusing on others. And so I, I gave it to God. And I started focusing on others. And I, I know God doesn't do monetarily things sometimes. But for five months in a row, that next day when my cell phone bill was due, there was exactly $66 in my bank account. And I can't figure it out because nobody had my account information. Nobody put it in there. It just happened. That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> Tenfold. So I put on the discussion points uh, in Proverbs to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. For years, for 17 years, I leaned on what I was understanding. I lived in this single mindset. And to give you a picture of what addiction is like, it is the lowest paying full-time job with mandatory overtime that you will ever experience. You wake up, you go, how am I going to get over on somebody so I can get what I need in order to get through the day? And that's the only thing that your mind thinks about. You become this robot. You become programmed to go after somebody, to lie, to cheat, to steal, to rob. And the irony is that you end up in sober living only realizing that you have robbed yourself. You've robbed your parents. You've robbed your family of sleepless nights. You've robbed your family of happiness, joy, 
everything. Holidays are not the same, but they still go on. We seek to understand rather than be understood. I started to try to understand what recovery was. I started to pick up on rules like not to take yourself too seriously. I started to pick up on things that would diminish my pride and my ego and let me remain to be a humble person. And I started to pick up on wisdom from guys who were in this place that were speaking to me with 30 and 40 years of sobriety. And I started to want what they had. And if I listened long enough, I could hear them tell me the ways of how to go about it. See, we go to recovery meetings to feed and to be fed. Men come to huddle to feed or to be fed. Amen. And if you're fed with enough love, if you're fed with enough spirituality, if you're fed with enough religion, then you realize that God will take care of you. Amen. I mean, there's a portion in the Bible where it says the birds do not sow nor do they reap, but they always eat. I was listening to Steve Harvey the other day, and he said, a normal flea has a vertical of 40 inches. A flea can jump 40 inches, but if you contain it into a jar, it only has to hit its head once, and then it knows it can only jump so high. And that flea can have babies that are born with 40-inch vertical leaps, but they're taught to only jump so high until they're released. God drug me through the mud and stripped me of everything so that I can learn to be clean, so that I can come out and be granted things to be able to help others. Eight years ago, I was sleeping on a gas station, homeless. My third years of real estate. Like who would who would take somebody who was homeless and give them the ability to sell houses? God does. Who would give somebody the ability to be a three-time felon to join organizations that you thought would not accept felons? God did. Who would give somebody who thought they could not have kids, two of them? God did. Who would think that somebody could get into a relationship and marry to somebody else in recovery that also has a story? God does. And those twin boys who set up in a NICU for 106 and 136 days that came out at 1 pound 12.8 ounces and 2 pounds 9.5 ounces, and the choices we were given was to terminate the smaller one before that, but we said no, because God gave us two. Now he's thriving. Amen. God does that. <laughs> Anytime you go out today and you see somebody who is homeless, 
Don't look at that person like they're asking for something. Because that somebody was me, and all I needed was a hope shot. All I needed was for somebody to stop and talk to me to realize that I was not invisible. All I needed was somebody to show me love, somebody to show me grace, and somebody to show me mercy like my God does. That's all I needed was a shot. And when he gave me that shot, I only look back to see how far I've come and the things that I'm able to do today. And the people that I'm able to reach because I had an old boss when I was selling jewelry he told me I was trilingual. I could speak to the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. And now I get to speak to the broken, the brokenhearted, the living, the suffering, the joyful, the thankful, the grateful. We get to do all these things in everybody that we encounter with today. So my discussion points are, what do you have today? Everybody has that attitude of gratitude, right? Everybody has an attitude of the thankful for what they have. But what are you willing to give today? Are you willing to give something in order to help somebody else? When I finally got down to my final sleeping arrangement in CCA, there was a guy that was the head of the pod, and all he did was pray for others. And I still think about that guy to this day. And every time I think about him, it's God asking me to pray for others. Because I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days you're going to come across somebody who's homeless that just needs a hope shot, and you're going to give them that hope shot, and you're going to show them the abundance that God gives and the grace and the mercy that God gives, and that person one day is going to be the mayor of Kokomo. I promise you that because recovery turns out some hard workers, and sometimes we take a little bit off, and, you know, we bite off a little bit more than we could chew, but sometimes God's going to do that to see if you can handle it before pushing you on to that next step. So everything that I have today is because of him. Everything that I am today is because of him. Everything that I'm willing to give today is because he gave it to me in order to do that thing that I needed somebody else to do when I was down there in the dumps. What do you have today? And what are you willing to give today? I just... I, you know, normally people get up here and pray, and I'm, I'm not that good at praying, but there's this uh, third step prayer that we have in our big book. And it says, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. What are you willing to give today? That's all I got.